This is Gerson Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. Happy Friday, Junior, everyone. Our Fight Lab Feast magazine is a quarterly issue that packs a punch like a 21-year Belvini. No, ice. We don't water down our scotch. Why would we water down our theology? Or a yearly subscription for yourself, and then send a couple yearly subscriptions to your friends who have been drinking lukewarm evangelical Kool-Aid. Every quarter we promise quality food for the soul, wine for the heart, and some Red Bull for turning over tables. Our magazine will include cultural commentary, a psalm of the quarter, recipes for feasting, laughter sprinkled throughout our glossy pages, and more. Sign up today at fightlaughfeast.com and grab a club membership while you're at it. Again, fightlaughfeast.com. Now this, a recent study shows a majority of Americans are too fat and dumb to join the military. Last year, the Pentagon had to grapple with quite a few negative headlines. The most alarming, repetitive headline was that recruiting goals were not met across the board. Of course, one might think that isn't a big deal, given that we've pulled out of Afghanistan and aren't technically in an active war with anyone. That is, if you ignore the secret wars in Syria and Iraq and our proxy war with Russia and Ukraine. But I digress. This news rightly rocked legislators and should concern Americans at large because of our increased tensions with China, which seems to be inevitably heading towards a future war. However, let's say you think the prospects of us finding ourselves in a hot war like Afghanistan or a conflict with China are slim to null. The fact that most young Americans couldn't join the military if they wanted to if they wanted to, should matter to every American as it directly reflects the type of society we currently elevate. A recent study has found that 77% of Americans between ages 17 and 24 are physically unqualified to join the armed services, up to 6%. From 2017. To put that into simpler terms, over three quarters of Americans within the prime military recruitment ages are too fat to raise their right hand to serve. Look at those two statistics I mentioned again. It might be bad now, but that same demographic was just as fat and unqualified six years ago. According to 2020 numbers, 42% of American adults are considered obese, with 19% on active duty falling into that category. That number is up from 16% of obesity in the active duty force in 2015. Ironically, some of the blame, according to experts, falls on a food insecurity program many active duty and young Americans are forced to participate in. For example, the United States Department of Agriculture found in 2015 that 40% of participants in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, are obese. An estimated 22,000 active duty and over 250,000 National Guard families receive SNAP benefits. For those of us familiar, that means a whole lot of government cheese and other processed food. Here's Bill Maher on the obesity crisis. Rewriting science to fit ideology or just to fit what you want reality to be. We've gone from fat acceptance to fat celebration. That's new. That is new. To view letting yourself go as a point of pride? We used to at least try and be fit and healthy, and society praised those who succeeded. Now the term body positivity is used to mean I'm perfect the way I am because I'm me. It's Orwellian. How often positivity is used to describe what's not healthy. Of course you can get away with anything bad for you when you're young. But let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a fat (laughs) 90-year-old? Scary, isn't it?
healthy at any weight is an unchallenged lie that people tell themselves so they can go on eating whatever they want, which is fine. I've done many self-destructive things, too, but no one pretended there was positivity in smoking. Anybody who has tried to eat healthy knows it is costly and cumbersome. For example, research from Utah State University found that if a family of four were to grocery shop based on the healthy dietary guidelines, it would cost them approximately $14,400 annually. The recruiting dilemma facing the military, like most issues plaguing the armed forces, is multifaceted. According to Army Lieutenant General Xavier Brunson, he explains, quote, some of the challenges we have are obesity. We have pre-existing medical conditions. We have behavior health problems. We have criminality, people of felonies. We have drug use, end quote. That's a pretty damning yet accurate depiction of Americans' youth. Additionally, many Americans need help to pass the education standards the armed forces require. Often joked as a test you get half credit for if you can spell your name right, the Armed Forces Qualification Test, the AFQT, is used to see if you are smart enough to wear the uniform and what jobs you might have a natural aptitude for. According to a security analyst, falling intelligence and education standards have made the military less prepared for a symmetrical there we go, or conventional challenges, end quote. The Navy is tossing around the idea of lowering minimum scores of acceptance on the AFQT and increasing the age ceiling from 35 to 41. Lowering standards might increase the number of recruits, but what about the quality? The Army is opting to keep its standards, but has stood up what they call future soldiers prep course at Fort Jackson to get recruits whose scores are too low up to snuff. The Centers for Disease and Control classifies obesity as a security threat, stating that one in five kids and two in five adults are obese. With American kids graduating high school without knowing how to read or do simple math, one could argue our public education system is also a security threat. Moving on, UK cat cull was considered early in COVID crisis, according to an ex-Minister of Health. The UK government considered whether it might have to ask people to exterminate all pet cats during the early days of the COVID pandemic. It was unclear whether domestic cats could transmit the coronavirus, James Bethel said. He told Channel 4 News, quote, What we shouldn't forget is how little we understood about this disease. There was a moment where we were unclear about whether domestic pets could transmit the disease. In fact, there was an idea at one moment that we might have to ask the public to exterminate all cats in Britain. Can you imagine what would have happened if they had to do that? In July 2020, at the height of the COVID crisis, cat owners were warned not to kiss their pets after a female Siamese became the first known animal in the UK to catch the disease. Margaret Hosey, a professor of comparative virology at Glasgow University who led the screening program, advised cat owners at the time to observe very careful hygiene. It comes as Lord Bethel's boss at the time, Matt Hancock, the former health secretary, is facing a series of claims based on a leaked cache of more than 100,000 WhatsApp messages. The messages provide an insight into the way the UK government operated at the start of the pandemic. They include the suggestion that Hancock rejected advice from England's chief medical officer, Professor Sir Chris Whitty, to test everyone going into care homes in England for COVID. Hancock vehemently denies overruling clinical advice. A spokesperson called the claim categorically untrue. Categorically untrue? Anybody? No? Anyways. Chicago Mayor Lightfoot reacts to election loss, says she was treated unfairly because of her race, gender. In 
How'd that get in there? Ousted Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot explained away her Tuesday election loss as a result of her being a black woman in America. Lightfoot faced eight challengers and finished Tuesday night's election in third place, failing to get enough support to continue in a runoff election. Reporters pressed her on whether she believed she was treated unfairly during the campaign process. Quote, I'm a black woman in America, of course, end quote. She responded, according to reports. She continued, regardless of tonight's outcome, we fought the right fights and we put this city on a better path, she said Tuesday night, adding that serving as Chicago's mayor was the honor of a lifetime. She also blamed the Trixie Hobbitses for her loss. For those keeping score, Paul Vallis led the way with 33.8% of the vote. Brandon Johnson received 20.3% and Lightfoot received 17.1%. With Lightfoot out of the race, Chicago Public Schools CEO and City Budget Director Paul Vallis will face off against Cook County Board of Commissioners member Brandon Johnson in the April 4th runoff. Neither candidate reached the 50% necessary to win the election outright on Tuesday. And Vallis, as I mentioned, came closest with 33%. Dime Payments is a Christian-owned processing payment business. Every business needs a payment process system, so please go to dimepayments.com slash FLF and sign your business up. Working with them supports us, and they won't cancel you like Stripe canceled President Trump. They won't cancel you like MailChimp canceled the Babylon Bee. Check them out, or at least have a phone call, and tell them that CrossPolitics sent you. Go to DimePayments.com slash FLF. That's DimePayments.com slash FLF. Now this. Mississippi bans gender-affirming care for minors. Mississippi has become the latest state to ban healthcare professionals from providing general affirming care for transgender youth, and one official saying will stop the attempt to push a sick and twisted ideology on children. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves, a Republican, signed the GOP-led House Bill 1125, also known as the Regulate Experimental Adolescent Procedures, REAP Act, into law on February 28th. Under the legislation, which is effective immediately, individuals in the state are banned from knowingly engaging in conduct that aids or abets the performance of incumbent of gender transition procedures for Mississippians under the age of 18. The bill also prevents public funds or tax deductions for prohibited gender transition procedures, noting that the direct or indirect use, grant, payment, or distribution of public funds to any entity, organization, or individual that provides gender transition procedures for individuals under the age of 18 is also prohibited. It also puts in place enforcement procedures on the Mississippi State Board of Medical Licensure. Any health care professional found to be in violation of the ban will have their license to practice medicine in the state revoked. The measure, which also prevents Medicaid from reimbursing or providing coverage for gender transition for persons under the age of 18, allows for health care providers to be sued by their former patients via their parent or next friend within 30 years. In a separate statement on Twitter shortly before the signing of the law, Reeves said there are individuals in the state who are attempting to push a sick and twisted ideology that seeks to convince our kids that they're in the wrong body and the solution is to drug, sterilize, and castrate themselves. The signing of the bill makes Mississippi the latest state to enact a ban on gender-affirming care after South Dakota. Governor Kristi Noem, a Republican, signed a similar help-not-harm bill into law last month. Similar bans have also been passed in Alabama, Arizona, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah, although some of them are currently being blocked by lawsuits. Nebraska and Oklahoma are also considering similar bills. And last month, Republican Florida State Senator Blas 
Blasi Ingalia, we'll go with that, introduced a bill that would require business that cover the cost of gender transition medical care for their employees to pay for any subsequent detransition care. Supporters of such bills claim that they are intended to safeguard children. Experts have said that four out of five children grow out of gender dysphoria once they reach adolescence. However, opponents, including a string of major medical organizations like the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the American Psychological Association, have all have all voiced support for gender transition care among minors, arguing that it is safe and effective. The American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, which works to protect and defend individuals' rights, said in a statement on Tuesday that the new legislation shuts the door on medical best practice and puts politics between parents, their children, and their doctors. Quote, this life-saving care was already difficult to access for trans youth across the state and is now entirely out of reach, the ACLU said. Our politicians continue to fail trans youth, but we will never stop fighting back against the ongoing attack against trans rights across the nation. Trans youth shouldn't have to fight this hard to be who they are, end quote. Folks, that's going to do it for this Cross-Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, go ahead and hit that share button for me down below. If you want to sign up for a club membership, a magazine subscription, or the Ark Encounter, head on over to FightLapFeast.com. Remember that Ark Encounter early bird pricing ends on May 1st. And as always, if you want to send me a news story, if you want to ask about our conference at the Ark Encounter, or if you want to become a corporate partner of Cross-Politic, email me at garrison at FightLapFeast.com. For Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great rest of your day, and Lord bless.